Podcast time, and then that means it's Good Movie Monday. That's the name of the podcast. Hi, everybody. It's <laughs> <laughs> lucky. Very lucky that the name of the show is Good Movie Monday. That's right. Good morning or good evening, wherever you might be, whatever time of uh, the month it is. You know, <laughs> that didn't sound right. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> How about my name is Glenn Cochran? That's a good way to get started. I'm the host of these weekly shambles. Ben Hellwig, I'm going to call you the consumer of Skittles from now on. I've... I think between Melzi and I, we polished off all yeah, those Skittles last week. There ain't none left. No. <laughs> of course, this is the uh, podcast, home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. Um, you all know that anyway. I say it every week. But if uh, wherever you do listen to us from, whatever podcasting platform, do us a favor and give us a review. The reviews go a long way and um, we would really appreciate it. Uh, wouldn't you say so, Ben? Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, my self-esteem could really use a boost. So if you comment about how much you love me on the review, that would be fantastic. If you say nasty things, it'll literally kill me. <laughs> yeah. Now, you've given so, them a little bit of an incentive there. To say nasty things. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. Uh, look, we are... Um, you want me off the show, now's your chance. We have an interesting show for you today. I want to say that this one's going to be an absolute belter, because it should be. Uh, considering that the theme of the show is music documentaries, but I ain't got a lot of confidence here. <laughs> it, look, it's a funny one. It is definitely one of the more difficult weeks. The truth is that you and I don't discuss music documentaries much at all. Look, I, mean, I, look, I, made, this, I made this joke to a friend of mine when we were both working at Alternate Worlds that at some point we were both into the same things until we turned about 16 <laughs> and then he went off and got into music and I got into pornography. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like that stands to this day. Like I, don't get me wrong, I love music, I love listening to it but I don't think overly much about the people responsible for making it. Mm -hmm. And I've always had, like I don't know about you mm -hmm. but when and you know your day job is a is a writer for Stack Magazine, and Stack Magazine always has music reviews. I don't understand the concept of a music review because when I listen to it, I'm like, without hearing the songs that you're talking about, I don't know what any of this means. It's interesting. I, I mean, I don't write music reviews. I know you right? don't write so the reviews. It's a whole yeah, different sort of mind space. But I guess much it, it is what new, uh, movie reviews are now. I think people watch the film before they read the review half the time. Yeah, you, don't want to, you don't want to have it spoiled. But also you kind of want to read something that reinforces your yeah. belief in the film. Also make you maybe consider it from a different point of view. I don't know. But you, you, raise, you raise a good point. Like, I, I just, like, I don't understand, like, the terminology and what they mean when they say, yeah. you know, when they describe the sounds. And you're like, well, I guess I'd rather just, like, you know, play five seconds of the song and then talk about it. Well... But otherwise, I guess I don't you know kind of answered means. your own question because you're not an avid music review reader. It's just not your thing. I guess there are people that have been reading them for years that appreciate yeah. what they do. I mean, look, I feel like you know, I'm guilty of definitely guilty of this of buying <laughs> movies on physical media that I've heard are awesome <laughs> yeah. from people, 
And once I have it, I'm not in a major rush to watch it. Like, I'll get around to it at some point. But that's, you know, like, people talk about, they're like, oh, it's got this scene where someone gets their head cut off and then the ninjas come out of nowhere for no reason. And, you know, <laughs> and that well, kind of, you're like, that sounds amazing. I want it. But when somebody does the same thing for music, they're like, oh, you know, then there's this bit in the middle that goes, ding, 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 ding. And then there's a, you're like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I just have to listen to it. Try articulating that. Yeah. Like, how do you, I don't get it. How do you spell ding, 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 Like, ding, it's ding. got a great chorus. I'm like, well, that's, if you like the chorus, that's great. But I find also music is a lot more personal than movies, I yeah. find. Yeah. Like, you know, and I think, I think we're both in this category mm. where we, you know, there's that saying that the, the you know the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah, yeah. And with movies, a lot of the time, it can actually be the opposite. Like you can have a movie that is technically dog shit, but it's got some great bits in it that you're like, no, nah, I love the movie yeah, anyway well, because it's got those bits. Here's the other thing, right? You, let's compare an album to a film. We don't watch films by chapters, but we listen to albums by tracks. Yeah. Right. So it's not like I can go to track 12 of a movie and enjoy that like yeah. you know so it's like you know i remember watching a one of the early episodes of the gilmore girls where <laughs> uh lorelei goes into like she goes on a date with someone who comes to the house <laughs> and he's just got a bunch of soundtracks and she's like yeah disgusted i'm like that's 100 percent me yeah. like I, I i've got a massive collection of soundtracks on cd I've you know like I can I could probably count on my ha- on my fingers yeah. how many albums that I've bought. I've bought because I like one song, and I've if I've <laughs> listened to the rest of them, it may be once, and then I just listen to that one. Well, which is why Spotify is great. Here's a bit of uh, interesting information for people listening that, that even give a shit. Uh, before this show, this was actually going to be a radio program, right? So I had teed up a time slot uh, on a local radio station. It was going to be called Cinema Waffle, if anyone's interested in that. and But the, the whole thing was Like that. a blue waffle. But <laughs> yeah, watch Glenn's Cinema Waffle. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole thing was I had to provide my own music. And so I went going through all the op shops and I collected the most impressive um, catalogue of soundtracks. And so, But then the radio show fell through just because of uh, things that happened in my life. And Like, I mean, it's funny. It's funny with all the, all the stuff that I've just said. Yeah. My favourite part about being involved in this show is the rare time where you go, do you want to pick a song? <laughs> like, yes, I do. Yeah, that's true. I didn't do that this week. <laughs> no, it's, you, you only do it very rarely that I actually get let's, to select a song. Let's discuss that but, off uh, the mic because I, do. I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you a time frame. If you can't get it to me by a certain uh, right, time. Okay. Yeah, because then... I'm, I'm well known for uh, <laughs> 4.30 on a Friday. Yeah, this would be good for Monday. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, the reason for the whole theme of this show is because the new David Bowie documentary, Moon Age Daydream, is opening in cinemas this week, and we have the director of that, Brett Morgan, as our special guest. I've got a chance to actually sit in a hotel room with him and discuss the film one-on-one, like something that people haven't been able to do in the industry for a long time because of the pandemic. Did you go and see this at uh, IMAX? No. I went and saw it at the media screening, which was um, just like Jam Factory in Melbourne, and it was on their big screen, which was great in and of itself. But had I seen it on IMAX, what what a sensation! What what an experience that would have been! It would have been a yeah. sensory overload, like you couldn't believe. And um, he was particularly excited about that taking place. That's what you know. Look, secretly, I'm. I mean, I'm glad that they're uh, they're going to be tearing down Jam Factory and rebuilding it when they do all that new <laughs> renovation. Yeah. They should have combined. <laughs> 
Really, realistically, they should have combined. Was it nine and ten? Yeah, yeah. And they should have made Look, that one big auditorium relevant for only those few people listening that have been there. <laughs> that are, yeah. Well, I mean, Jam Factory used to be my go-to cinema. Like that. It's was, an iconic um, location in Melbourne. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it was it was great because you know back in the day when I worked at the video at a video store, I had a friend who worked up the road at another video store. Yeah. And closing time at the video store is ten o'clock at night. Yeah. We would lock up, count the till, do all that stuff. And then race to Jam Factory and catch the 10.30 horror film. Yep. Whatever that would be. That's what we used to do as well. You know. Yep, for sure. I think um, I Highlander Endgame after work. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ballistic X vs. Sever, which I convinced mm-hmm. a friend of mine. I was like, I was like, you know, we've seen all these other, all these other game-based movies that get yep. great reviews and they're shit. This one has had shit reviews. <laughs> I bet you it's great. <laughs> no, I was incorrect. Oh, Halloween Resurrection. That was another one I saw. Yeah. Um, yeah, good times, mate. When you could see those movies on a big screen and at night time, late at yeah. night, fantastic. It was great because we'd go there and then we'd come back, we'd go to the Maccas on, um, on, uh, was it Malvern Road or whatever, mm. Commercial Road or whatever yeah. it is down there, which we used to affectionately call uh, Piss Maccas <laughs> because the toilets were right next to the registers <laughs> and there was always a waft of urine <laughs> <laughs> coming out of it. you like... It's all renovated now. It is no longer. Well, it means if you were busting, you could still order your food while taking a piss. That's right. You yeah. just call out through <laughs> yeah. the thing. Well, I think we've successfully stretched the start of the show out, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, this show could go in many different ways, and I uh, so it's, far it's it's not where I anticipated. anticipated no, it's, I think it's my favourite uh, tangent of the series, though. <laughs> yeah, like thirty seconds out the gate. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, let's introduce the team and then let you know what's coming up on the show because after a month of globetrotting, Guillermo Troncoso is back from Screen Realm. That lucky bastard has been um, yeah, doing stuff that we wish we'd been doing. Uh, the fact that he's been gone away for so long either means there's a lot for him to catch up on or more likely Screen Realm's just been dormant and there's not much to report. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, there's been plenty of news. Either way, we'll find out shortly. Also, the guys from Bonehead Weekly, the podcast from Kentucky, have uh, some great recommendations coming up. And if you like, you know, knowing about new movies and what's coming out on physical media this week, then Jared has you covered. There oh, I, too. and I don't know if I don't know if if, if Gamo covers this. Yeah. In and we did just listen to it, but I was paying attention to other things. <laughs> Sorry, Gamo. But uh, Thursday night, last Thursday, Juice Jaken died i don't think i don't know if that's uh no. you know how well known that is the 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 man behind emmanuel mm-hmm. the, the original sylvia cristal yeah emmanuel films and lady chatterley's lover and uh wow. madam claude has uh passed away tragedy yeah so around about the same time as the queen well that was my <laughs> that was my joke when i was talking to uh <laughs> one of my employers this morning <laughs> he's like i wonder if they're connected i'm like they were probably uh <laughs> You know, traveling through a tunnel trying to get away from the paparazzi. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, since Prince Albert's died, Prince the Queen's bit of bit of rough is Juice Jacob. <laughs> she's like, she's uh, Elizabeth's Dodie Alfayette. Likes it juicy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, swinging back to uh, the social media pages. Also, before we push on, make sure you do go and follow us there. Facebook, uh, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. TikTok's going off at the moment, so we would love you to uh, get on there and uh, follow us and give us a like and all that kind of stuff. 
Uh, a mission, though, for the loyal listeners. As I said, those reviews, we're going to be we're going to be watching people. We're like private watch. eyes. Yes. <laughs> watching <laughs> you. I, I, couldn't, wanna... I couldn't contain <laughs> no, myself. No, I know. Couldn't stop it. I, uh, knew, I knew what was coming. I knew what's going to happen. Couldn't stop it. And all I could think, if you read my mind, was I want to jump in. Should I jump in? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, anything else on your mind that you'd like to talk about before we uh, hand it over to Jarrett? This is like the uh, the moment of uh, just you know, digressions. And... Digressions. No, I can, I can only... My digressions only work if I'm interrupting one of yours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you put me on the spot like that, I got nothing. It's like it's like a, you know, a, asking a question at a Q&A. So yeah. I have no questions. The minute the Q&A is over, I'm like, what are they asking about this? What are, what's the deal with that? What about the, Why did he do that for? I always feel peer pressure into those buddy things because when they say, anyone got any questions out and, there and no one answers, I'm like, people seem to look at me. It's like sometimes the people up the front know that I ask questions but for you, a living and they look at me like, save like us. Like you got to do it? Yeah. Well, you break the rules of a public Q&A. Why? Because you don't start out the question by talking about yourself for 20 minutes first, <laughs> which is what everyone... You know, yeah. I just want to say I'm a film student. Uh, I thought the film was great, and uh, you know, it kind of it's similar to my life uh, in that you know I w- I experienced this, and I just recently lost my father, and I uh, to get here I got stuck in traffic, and that really uh, triggered me. And uh, but uh, how'd you come up with the idea? <laughs> hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE class. Now I'm going to start with some news. Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment are going to release Jordan Peele's latest feature, Nope, on Home Entertainment on November 9th. It's coming out on 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD, and what's more, it's coming out in a collector's edition. They haven't announced the special feature content just yet, but I'll update you as soon as I hear. Now on that same date, Universal Sony will release Bullet Train on 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD. Later in the month, we've got some more theatrical titles hitting home entertainment. The Idris Elba, Wilderness Gone, AWOL, Movie Beast, and Orphan First Kill, the prequel to Orphan, which was pretty damn good. They're both headed to Blu-ray and DVD on November 30. No confirmation as yet whether we'll see a 4K Ultra HD of Beast. I kind of thought we might. Now on that same day, Universal Sony are digging into the back catalogue to release the Eminem Star Vehicle 8 Mile on 4K Ultra HD. And the good news is this release will have a DTS-X track. Now moving on to this week's releases, first up we've got Universal Sony and they're releasing Minions on all the formats, 4K, Blu-ray and DVD. You know this one, it's the Despicable Me spin-off and when it played theatrically they had an issue with groups of young lads turning up in suits and engaging with the film loudly, much to the detriment of parents who were there with their kids just to suffer through the movie for their children's benefit. Anyway, that one's coming out on all the formats and I'm not going to go into the special features because I dare say you don't give a flying fuck. Then Universal Sony are releasing two films from the Paramount catalogue for the first time on 4K Ultra HD. They are Star Trek V The Final Frontier and Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country. Now, both of these titles are being released purely as 4K discs, which means you don't get any other special features aside from commentary tracks. If you do want special features, you'll need to import the UK or US releases that have the Blu-ray component that are loaded with special features. The good news, however, 
is that Star Trek 6 has both the theatrical and director's cut available on the 4K disc via seamless branching. Now moving on to Eagle, they're releasing Terror on the Prairie on DVD only. This is a period set action thriller. It's got the controversial Gina Carino in it and Samir Armstrong. You remember her from the OC? Well, she's in this one also. Moving on to Roadshow, another title that's only coming out on DVD. That title is Stowaway. Now this one's not to be confused with the 2021 Netflix sci-fi film with like Anna Kendrick, I think might have been in it. No, this is one you can file purely under, if I didn't mention it, Glenn would mention I didn't mention it. It's an actioner with Ruby Rose and Frank Grillo, who Ben loves Frank Grillo, so maybe there's two people that are actually interested in this movie. Then finally, the other title I will mention, the last title being a title from Disney, is Thor Love and Thunder. It's coming out in all the formats, 4K, Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD, and the good thing about this one is that being a Marvel movie, it's actually gone to Disney Plus ahead of the physical release by days. And what's more, Disney Plus actually have all the special feature content for it. So if you're not really willing to, you know, throw 30 odd dollars across the table for this film, you can watch it on Disney Plus and watch all the special feature content too. And if you like it, then you can buy it. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. So until next time, stay physical. I am looking forward to these... Uh... Star Trek. Uh, well, this is the funny thing. Um, he mentioned that Star Trek five and six are coming out on four K, which they are, and I'm excited because they what's, are. They are what's my two five favorites. and six? Uh, Undiscovered Country. Undiscovered Country is number six, and then the other one is the Final Frontier. Ah, the 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 one that Shatner directed. Yeah, the one where uh, is it Christopher? <laughs> what's his name? It's not Christopher Lloyd. It's uh, Plummer. He's Christopher... number six. He's number six. Yeah, he's yeah. number six. Christopher. He goes. Uh, uh, you haven't heard Shakespeare until you've heard it in its original Klingon. <laughs> yeah. It's like the line, the Star Trek line of all Star Trek lines. But um, yeah, but yeah, the entire original series of movies is coming out on 4K, uh, particularly the original motion picture, which I'm very excited about because it's the first time obviously on 4K, but it's the original director's edition, the Robert Wise cut, and it's the one they've been working on for 20 years, and it's the final, you know. I think it's getting a theatrical. Like, I think they're doing some screenings of it. It would be awesome on a big screen because I watched the 4K in preparation for an interview I did with the guy that produce these and the story behind what went into it is just great i'd love to see this on the big screen i watched the 4k and it was gorgeous but imagine it like you know even imax phew, would be a fantastic experience but yeah so there you go original star treks that's exciting stuff for nerds <laughs> yeah and like i was joking because uh you know when when this kind of came up and i was talking to some friends of mine i had been to see megaforce on the big screen <laughs> which is the only other film outside of outside of Star Trek the motion picture that I that I can th think of off the top of my head that stars Persis Kambata. <laughs> and I'm like, well, so that means I've seen her two big films theatrically if I if I have seen Star Trek the motion picture, except, you know, one bald, one with hair, one without hair. And let me tell you, the one with without hair is much better than the <laughs> one... Uh, well, now all we need it. is the, um, the next-gen movies to get a 4K release because I enjoy those as well. First Contact yeah. is, is one of my all-time favourite, uh, yep. you know, I could take or leave the generation. Go back, and... um, go back and have a look at the article I wrote on Sunday, all about uh, my top five. Star oh, your top Trek five Star Trek films. Yeah, yeah. But now I prefer Star Trek over Star Wars. Where do you stand on that? That's an interesting question. I find, and this is actually something. If you buy the four K of the original motion picture and listen to the commentary, they talk about Star Wars and Star Trek and what appeals to them more in yeah. one or the other. And the whole thing about Star Trek is. 
there is thought behind process. So they show you how the enterprise, for example, there works. So when you go into warp speed, it takes 10 minutes to get there because they've got to charge. They've got to wait for this, got to wait for that. Whereas Star Wars doesn't give a fuck about that. It's just, we're off. Yeah. Oh no, there's, they're filled with the dials. <laughs> but there is a there is actually a book called The Science of Star Trek. Yeah. They used to have it at, at Monash spoken, University we're Library. About that. And um and um, they, they reference what I talked about the other week at how so many people now who are in the science field have grown up with Star Trek and therefore try to realise the visions of Star Trek into yeah. real life, which is what that book's about, right? I mean, look, I I, th- I honestly I think they're different. They're so different beasts. Like one is TV and one is 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 cinema. <clears throat> And Star Wars is a lot is it's epic. Yep. It's an epic sci-fi. Yep. Whereas Star Trek is more everyday sci-fi, if that makes sense. Kind of does. And which I... is why the for me a lot of the time the movies don't work. Yeah. Because it's the same reason why I th- a lot of the um the superhero the Marvel movies now don't work for yep. me because they're so the stakes have to be so high for it to be a film that for the for me then it kind of just loses all sense of reality like sure. know, saying that about a superhero movie is ridiculous <laughs> yeah. but you know what I mean yeah. whereas you know Star Trek ha- is a lot more I always you know, feel the stakes there's a, are there's a tomorrow but I feel like the stakes are higher in Star Trek because they are from Earth like there's a human sort of yeah but for the most part in Star Trek the their their universe isn't going to end at the every episode like they're just on <laughs> we're going to this planet yeah, something well, happens in TV terms in I'm talking movies like. I, yeah, I, I well, mean, the, yeah, but that, yeah, look, that is the. Like I said, I don't think the movies the movies don't work as well for me as the series does. Yeah, yeah. But I would say of the two, what I prefer is that time when there was a tribute to Star Wars and and uh-huh. uh, uh, what's it? William Shatner came out and did a yeah, I, did I the speech, that. and it was, that was the best. That's the best <laughs> of both combined. It's him well, going, uh, "I really love Star Wars. Uh, I mean, Star Trek. I mean, Star Wars. I know where I am." <laughs> Well, we can have both. Um, I just yeah. happen to prefer Star Trek. That's a whole conversation we can have on a whole show. We could dedicate it to nerdisms, and you know, yeah. if, if if that's not what we do already. <laughs> How about we talk about music docos? <laughs> yeah, sure. there, was, there was a moment in time where music docos were almost like tentpole theatrical moments. Like there were big docos that were blockbusters, and I'm going to just take you back to. Uh, Led Zeppelin did one called The Song Remains the Same in 1976, which opened up in all the cinemas. And my dad recalls that. He was an usher at the Palace Cinema. And he used to tell me stories about how he used, he saw the Led Zeppelin film like 200 times and like it's, that's why it's his favourite band. And he said there was a weird double feature. What would you double feature in 1976 Led Zeppelin's documentary with at the Astor? Oh, no, sorry. It was at the Palace Cinema, I should say. The years, I would say, Pink Floyd's The Wall. You were so close. It was Pink Flamingos. Pink Flamingos. <laughs> of course. After watching... Uh, so my dad also saw Pink Flamingos 200 times. And that's why he wakes up in a sweat uh, at night going, ooh, ma, ma, mama, ooh, ma, 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 mama. Don't walk in on that. It's, it's, yeah. Cold sweat. I just imagine that... I was just dreaming that someone ate dog shit. <laughs> and then, like, talking about these films being theatrical, all the way through to the 80s, you had U2's Rattle and Hum. That was huge at the cinemas at the time. Yeah. Madonna's Truth or Dare. Yeah. Like, these were massive. And, and nothing like that anymore. You get, like, your Billie Eilish docos and your Justin Bieber's, but they're streaming things. Well, that's it. I, I mean, look, and streaming... Look, streaming has saved the documentary, I yeah. think. Yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. where That's where documentaries go now. Mm-hmm. And a lot more being made because of Netflix and and yeah, I was 
going to say Stan, but Stan's just Australian, so yeah, yeah, really yeah. Count. No one's saying. making docos for Stan. Yeah. Uh, I said, well, I'm going to get, we're going to get letters. <laughs> uh, and just for those people out there who don't know, letters are what you used to get before emails existed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> going to say they've got to, they've got to know how to write one first. Gotta, yeah. Handwriting? People actually write with a pen. Did you have to get a pen license in school? <laughs> what do they have now? License? What do they have now? Um, we had pen license. What do they have now? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> save save privileges. You can only save something once you've proven you know how to... <laughs> you, anyway. You from an old style <laughs> keyboard to a mechanical keyboard. Yeah, yeah. But like, but I find that those those kind of, you know, tour docos, I don't really find them to be... I don't really consider them to be documentaries. Like oh, the like, ones where yeah, they yeah, follow, yeah. like Rattle and Hum and stuff like that. Yeah, tour ones, yeah. <laughs> you know, I find those to be more like extended music videos kind of thing. Okay. Which, I mean, that's just a personal kind of preference. Uh, but I find that it's like, you know, there is a defining line between... Sure. Between, you know, the history of... The, the total history of a band or a period of a band okay. versus a might, um, concert Might have to stop tour. you tracks right there because uh, my first film <laughs> <laughs> is a... 2017 movie called Long Time Running, and it is exactly that. It's a, it's a <laughs> tour movie, but this one it packs a punch. It's um all about the Canadian uh, singer Gord Downey. I don't know if you've heard him. He was the lead singer of a band called Tragically Hip, and um one of like Canada's most iconic bands. If you can imagine Powderfinger, but like then amplify it, like they were massive, but similar kind of band. And this film is all about the band's last tour. Um, but the focus is entirely on Gord Downey because he'd been diagnosed with uh, terminal brain cancer. Right. I was going to say, did they know beforehand that it was going to be their last tour? No, they, they certainly did. Yeah. So he'd been diagnosed with brain cancer and told that performing uh, in the future would kill him on the spot. Like he just could not possibly do it. Um, and so he put himself through this really incredible rehabilitation after brain surgery to put himself in a position that he could have the stamina to do a final tour so he could say goodbye. And his doctors even then said, don't do it. Like, you will probably die on the stage. And so what he did was defied the odds and he went on stage and they documented the whole thing and they embarked on a 15-show tour, tour around Canada and every single one of them was a goodbye. And so he knew that audience would be the last audience and it all culminates in... Could you imagine, like, how would you go with your tickets? Like, you pre-buy your tickets for show 15 and you're like, is he going to make it? Or are, or are you just, are you like trying to buy every... Because you're like, I want to be at the one where he dies. Because that's going to be a story I can tell <laughs> oh the kids. Well, I mean, this that does break my heart, this film. It's really, really potent stuff. Because in each of these live performances, and they don't, like, focus too heavily on it, but he does this moment at the end where he will stop and then spend five to ten minutes scanning the audience, trying to make eye contact with every single person in the building. And you can see he's doing it. He's connecting. And it's really powerful. But then the whole thing, the tour culminates in one live broadcast. They had the final shows broadcast around the country. And every single city in uh, Canada stopped and held these massive events in other stadiums and whatnot and watched it live. And knowing damn well that this is the last time we'll ever see this guy on stage to cut a long story short it is soul destroying like it is just absolutely yeah. gutter punch stuff but in, in a strange way life assuring as well like really like make the most of what you got but, i mean like on the plus side though yeah you've got a timeline of yeah. the of the film yeah. like if you're watching it on your computer so you know he's not going to die until at least you know 90 well, minutes in he doesn't die in the film he does not die in the film but you so may... it kind of ruins it's like watching apollo 13 you know i know that they make it <laughs> 
Mr. over here is not in touch with his feelings. He uh, needs to make I've, light of something so serious. I've never had a genuine feeling. <laughs> you might remember um, the famous footage of the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, crying on camera when he announced the death of this celebrity. It was it made global news. Like, why is the Canadian Prime Minister like absolutely bawling his eyes out to announce this? Because he had to announce it to the country. That's what it was. So it was Gord Downey's passing. And um, the film's... Completely online. It's on um, YouTube for free. It used to be on Netflix, but now you can just pick it up on, on YouTube for free. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a double whammy too because the final project he actually did after this tour was an animated musical film called The Secret Path, which is all about Canada's version of The Stolen Generation. Right. And he tells a story. It's amazing how every country seems to have this. They do. Yeah. Well, our, our colonial history is the same as Canada's, right? Yeah. And so this story is about the true story of a, an Indian child, native Canadian who was in an orphanage and escaped to get home to his parents and died along the way. And he tells this story in an animated um, film. And it's just, yeah, if you watch these back to back, you, you know, you have a... <laughs> if you have a soul, you're it's, in trouble. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a tough it's a tough one. I'd but, be um, fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gord Downey, look, tragically hip, look them up if anything. That recommendation is just so you can uh, explore what goodness they've got to... Uh, had to give. I only cry during the scenes where Sandra Bullock cries in the blind side. Otherwise, I just thought it was every time you come. I cry a lot. <laughs> I wondered why the tissues were there. Yeah. There's two boxes, one for crying. And... Yeah, I oh, know I don't wipe up. I just <laughs> I do it in the morning before I have a shower. I wish so. I, I wish I'd never <laughs> taken it there. What's your first recommendation? Uh, Jesus Christ. I'm going to talk about. Uh, uh, like a Rolling Stone, The Life and Times of Ben Fong Torres, which uh, is on Netflix. Mm -hmm. You can check it out. If you don't know who Ben Fong Torres is, he was the music director of Rolling Stone magazine in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And I th he makes a cameo in, as the he's pretty much the guy who gave Cameron Crowe his chance. And the movie Almost Famous is kind of semi-autobiographical yeah, with yeah. Uh, that kid playing, basically playing Cameron Crowe and Ben Fong Torres. I mean, he says that the only thing that uh, uh, matches between him and the character in that movie is the loud shirts. Everything else is completely <laughs> fictitious. Um, and it, it basically charts, it charts his kind of trajectory mm -hmm. uh, into like writing for Rolling Stone and then, and then what happens after and, or, and you know, um, and the pivotal kind of the two pivotal moments in his life is you know his marriage to his his wife and his kind of you know, issues with his parents over it because he he is he's Chinese. There's a great bit where they explain the name because mm -hmm. he's clearly <laughs> clearly Chinese. Yeah. But at the time when his parents tried to immigrate, there was a no there was a Chinese lockout. Yeah, they weren't allowed to enter the country. So they his father bought a fake passport. Under the name, like I think it's like Bruce Torres or something like a, so and that's how they got in. Yeah, yeah. As if they were Latino, so his name is <laughs> Ben Fong Torres. But that and uh, his brothers, his brothers, his brother was killed, I think, in a shooting outside of his house, mm -hmm. um, and that severely impacted his life. And it kind of it charts all of that, as well as you know, I think you know, Elton John pops up and a kind of a lot of the. Yeah, because he covered everyone. He like for a while he was the like he he's also almost responsible for kind of breaking Steve Martin in Rolling Stone. Yeah, right. Uh, and stuff. And so Steve Martin's in the doco. Elton John is and stuff. My only criticism of the film would be it. I would have liked more about Rolling Stone. Yeah. 
Like they talk about how like Rolling Stone was influential, blah, blah, blah. But they, I would have preferred some more. And I understand why they didn't because it is, it's about him, not about the magazine. But it would have been good to know how he got the job at Rolling Stone and how his writing, because he was one of the kind of, he was, as I said, the music editor. Yeah, yeah. He was one of the loudest and most well-known voices of Rolling Stone mm. during its heyday. heyday yeah. Like, you know, I, I think there is a Rolling Stone documentary. There probably is. It wouldn't yeah. surprise me. Yeah. Do you know, um, like the the writer from Rolling Stone, David Wilde, which is he's one of the biggest sort of entertainment, like um, film writers. There does some music. He's the reason I got into film writing in the first place. Right. Uh, he interviewed me for Rolling Stone in 1996 when I met. Um, Gillian Anderson on the set of X-Files and I ended up in that famous article where they're in bed together. You read yeah. the final paragraph, that's me, all right? Wow. And so all these years later, I got in touch with David Wilde. I said, hey, just so you know, I was that kid and he goes, yeah, I remember you. And I said, well, I'm doing what you do now just in a, you know, in my own little way. And he was like blown away yeah. that over 20 years and he could influence something like that. Yeah, he was like, so so Ben Fong Torres got Cameron Crowe and he got you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now, look, I'm, I, I'm trying to be, I'm not trying to be overly critical here, Glenn. <laughs> hey guys, just interrupting myself again with a reminder of the Newsly app. Do you guys have it yet? And if you don't, why not Newsly is the best place to listen to Good Movie Monday. But you can also get all of your other podcasts there, as well as music and various other things. Go to newsly.me to check it out. The way it works is it curates all of the highest trending articles from around the world, depending on your like. If you're into music, you might be into finance, you might be into politics, you might be into gaming, whatever it is that is your jam, Newsly can curate that and then read the highest trending articles back to you in a natural human voice, which is completely handy when you're in a position that you can't possibly read your phone. You might be jogging, you might be driving, you know, whatever the case. But they also have a premium service, and this is the best part. We've partnered with them, and we can get you an entire month of free premium. I mean, why not just give it a shot, see what it's like? All you've got to do is use our exclusive code MONDAY. Monday without the O, so M-N-D-A-Y. Punch that in when you go to premium and get the free stuff. What's going on, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com. I am back following a month or so trip around Europe. I don't mean to rub it in, but uh, let's just say my month has been better than all of yours. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Here to tell you about a few of the news stories that have occurred in the world of film, kicking off with Nicolas Cage and Joel Kinnaman both set to star in a psychological thriller titled Sympathy for the Devil, which is coming from Israeli filmmaker Yuval Adler who previously directed Kinnaman in a 2020 film titled The Secrets We Keep. The film's plot reads as follows. A driver, played by Kinnaman, finds himself in a high-stakes game of cat and mouse after being forced to drive a mysterious man, the passenger, Nicolas Cage. As their white-knuckle ride progresses, it becomes clear that not everything is as it seems. So Kinnaman and Cage in a two-hander thriller, count me in. Anna Kendrick is set to make her directorial debut with a true crime thriller titled The Dating Game. Kendrick is also going to be starring in the film, which is based on the true story of Cheryl Bradshaw, a bachelorette on the hit 70s TV matchmaking show The Dating Game. So what happened was she chose a handsome, funny bachelor number one, Rodney Alcala. There was just a bit of a problem. 
he was actually a psychopathic serial killer. Talking about the blacklist script by Ian McAllister McDonald, Kendrick said, while I was obviously thrilled to be playing the character of Cheryl, I felt so connected to the story, the tone, the themes around gender and intimacy that when the opportunity came up to direct the film, I jumped at it. It feels meant to be. Principal photography is already underway in London on an apocalyptic thriller titled The End We Start From, starring Jodie Comer, known for Killing Eve and The Last Duel. And you can now count Benedict Cumberbatch and Mark Strong among the newcomers that are joining in. The film is based on a novel by Megan Hunter and it's coming with a screenplay written by Alice Birch, known for Normal People in Succession. It's billed as a powerful, hopeful story about the trials and joys of new motherhood in the midst of devastating floods that swallow up the city of London. The film marks the featured editorial debut for director Mahalia Bello. We still don't know who the next James Bond is going to be, but one name that constantly pops up in the conversation is Idris Elba. Elba himself has now talked about that in a recent episode of the podcast The Shop. I'm not going to lie, Elba said, every corner of the world I go, and I'm talking about different cultures, they always go Bond. He added, it is not a goal for my career. I don't think that, you know, playing Bond will satisfy some of my personal goals. He also said, and I feel it is beyond me at this junction. It's beyond me. You know, it's not a question of should I, do I, will I? It is what the will of the nation dictates sometimes. I'm not that guy, but in everyone's world I might be and that job done. Because the truth is, you know, a lot of people are really seeing Idris playing Bond as the alternative Bond. And as long as that alternative is existing, that's great for the growth of fucking casting. As far as how the search is going, earlier this year James Bond producer Barbara Broccoli told Deadline, We're reinventing who he is and that takes time. I'd say that filming is at least two years away. That about does it for a few of those news stories. Now that I'm back in action, it means Screen Realm is also back in action. So go to ScreenRealm.com, we've got all your latest trailers, we've also got streaming release schedules for Netflix, Stan, etc. And importantly, be sure to join Screen Realm on YouTube. We've got a number of interesting interviews up there with filmmakers, and I'm about to embark on a new mission to get that channel really going. I've also got a video review up for Pinocchio, Disney's new live action remake, which I just, I didn't like. I wanted to, but I didn't. So jump on YouTube, check out what I had to say about it. Thanks so much for having me, everybody. Catch you next week.
I think that is a completely appropriate song to be playing, Moon Age Daydream by David Bowie. Because we're here to talk about uh, Moon Age Daydream. I mean, let's dedicate that to our friend Melzi, who was on the show last week. One of the biggest David Bowie fans I know. I remember her being in tears when he died. Yeah, well, her, her dog's name is Bowie. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a tattoo of Bowie, I believe. Like, yeah, she's, uh, yeah, she missed it by one week. Not that she got to meet this guy, but like, she could have been talking <laughs> all about David Bowie on the show. She would know a lot more than me about it. She <laughs> yeah. would have been much more appropriate to go host and the show with you. No better way to segue to the interview with um, Brad I was going to say, my favorite part about David Bowie is on the young ones when they keep calling him David Bowie. <laughs> And I don't, I don't actually don't understand if that's a joke or not. Is it, is he, is it David Bowie no, or David, is it David it's, Bowie? It's David Bowie. Yeah. David is Bowie it? is the fictional character that, um, that he plays. Right. David yeah. Bowie is. Like little Davy Jones is his real name and David Bowie is his uh, is character. character. Right. Um, and which is this film explores. Because Davy Jones is in the monkeys, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. He was in the monkeys before. I have been a huge David Bowie fan uh, for a very long time, but like many people of our generation, Labyrinth is what got me into him. Um, yeah, right. But my mum also is responsible because she would play his music around the house at the same time and split ends and things like that. She was into that sort of weird, quirky kind of pop. New wave. Yeah, T-Rex in there as well. So a little bit of glam. Glam. Glam, glam. is a better way to look at it. But um, what about you? You you a, bit, a fan? I'm a fan. I can't... I don't think... I mean, I would have seen Labyrinth, but I think by the time I saw Labyrinth, I already knew who David Bowie was. I'm not sure what I would have, you know. And now I'm thinking, you know, like, like my favourite part about Night's Tale is the David Bowie song. <laughs> my favourite part about uh, Cat People remake is yeah. the David Bowie song. Because his music's amazing and it applies uh, very naturally to different you know, things. Yeah. Everyone can do their own impersonation. Did you want to give yours a crack? You no, can go no. the whole boo <laughs> Or you go, man, man. <laughs> Whichever way. Star man. <laughs> go, got it. Uh, what's his... Uh, Put that on TikTok. Crowd control to Major Tom. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway. I've been booted out. Oh, well, anyway, so Brett Morgan was in town recently for the Melbourne International Film Festival, um, and now the film is getting its theatrical release, and um, yeah, caught up with him in this um, weird Notting Hill-style press junket. You know, remember the Notting Hill scene where I felt like I was from, like, Horse Horse and Hound? Horse and Hound. (laughs) Did you identify with your character? Uh, I play a psychotic cyborg, uh, so no. That's right, are there any horses in space? (laughs) What was your favorite part of filming the movie? Why don't you tell me the parts that you liked, <laughs> and then right. I'll tell you if I liked filming them. Well, it felt very much like that. And because I was recording this for the show, here's just some funny um, behind-the-scenes things going on. There's a lot of pressure in this environment, right? Because you've got to be in and out with a certain amount of time, uh, and the publicist will rush you in, right? And me knowing I'm doing this for the show, I've got all my equipment, don't I? So I didn't realize how quickly they would rush me in. So I've got to fumble through my backpack to get the microphone out and get the recorder. And I'm like, do you mind holding this? And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> like everyone else just goes with the dictaphone. He's a filmmaker. Surely he understands no, about equipment. He was amazing and he was up for it. But like everyone else would have just used their phone to record. It's like, I want this audio to match the show, yeah. right? So I'm, I'm going in with style. Anyway, the, I guess the proof is in the pudding. So let's have a listen. This is our super nice guy, Brett Morgan, all about um, Moon Age Daydream. Questions have arisen such as who is he? What is he? Where did he come from? Is he a creature of a foreign power? 
Is he a creep? Is he dangerous? Is he smart, dumb, nice to his parents, real, a put-on, crazy, sane, man, woman, robot? What is this? The film is um, sensory overload. It's overwhelming. Um, it's a fantastic film. You must be very proud of it. Congra congratulations. Thank you. You know, you've made documentaries before. Did this one you know, come to you or did you spearhead it from the beginning? This is probably the only one I've spearheaded from the beginning. Um, before I knew I was doing a film on David Bowie, I had created uh, this form that I was wanted to explore called the IMAX Music Experience. And the idea was that I would make a series of films based on some of the biggest acts in the world, acts that are so well known, we don't need their biography. Right. That we can just create a space to experience and appreciate their art and their music and um, hopefully something sublime as well as intimate. And I was going down the road with several artists when Bowie passed and um, I immediately hit the brakes, called the estate, told them what I was interested in doing and uh, we moved forward with Lenny Chapman. That's amazing, and, and you mentioned the estate. You know, first time they've ever given permission to make a, an exclusive sort of you know, document on him. Were they were they instrumental throughout the process, or did they pretty much hand you the keys to the vault and say good luck to you? Pretty much say good luck to me. I mean, there was no. The only thing that I was told, which was at the basically at the initial meeting, was that David was not here to authorize the film. So it was never going to be David Bowie on David Bowie. It would always be Brett Morgan on David Bowie, and that I needed to embrace that. And that was it. Those were the only instructions I was given. That's pretty amazing. And yeah. the archival footage they've and audio they've given you is just immense. I can't even imagine how overwhelming that would have been to jump into. Did you have a structure in mind for the film going into it, or did you let the material dictate how you made it? No, I had a very difficult time breaking the uh, script. It, it took eight months, um, and, and to put that in comparison, I think um, I've made, I think, seven or eight films, and I would say probably the most amount of time I've spent on a script is four days. Mm. Um, the, the reason is I write the scripts after I've screened everything, so I know what's available to me, and I've had a lot of time in my head to map out what to do. When I finished screening Bowie, which took two years, um, uh, I then was like, okay, great, now I write an experience. Mm. And I was like, how do you write an experience? <laughs> like, what happens first? That, and I knew how to start. I didn't know what would happen at 17 minutes in. Um, so it took about eight months to resolve that part of it. And then once I started editing, I, yes, there was a script to edit too. Did you, was it like, you know, was it a, uh sense of self-discovery for you as well going through this footage like did it because what I think is the most successful thing about the film to be honest with you is that you broke down the enigma of David Bowie it, it's very personal and I think the audience or at least myself sees himself reflected in his character as you go the, the idea of the film and I think the idea of Bowie and I say this in quotations Bowie in quotations yeah. is that unlike most artists Bowie consciously presented himself as a mirror to reflect back to us um, ideas and thoughts about our own lives. Bowie doesn't exist per se, it's a canvas. And I, the film embraced that and is designed so that it's not a film about David Jones, 
who was born January 8, 1947. It's a film about you. Mm. Now, one could say this about any art, but this piece of art was consciously constructed to be a biography about you, not David Jones. Yeah, and I completely tapped into that. I um, I was surprised at what you exposed of him, like, you know, the vulnerabilities and the concerns about life, the, the struggles that we all feel, yeah. and that came through. Well, it's interesting with David because I think that the perception of David is that he's at arm's length, he's mm. cold, he's icy, he's um, inaccessible. And what I discovered, um, not by looking hard, it was just going through <laughs> the footage, is that he was um, uh, an incredibly sage um, philosopher and whatever religious doctrine I've had in my life held in terms of its usefulness to things I've learned and read from Bowie. Mm. So, so I'm born Jewish, but I was not raised religiously or had a bar mitzvah. And, um, and so later in life, I was like, oh, I, you know, just culturally understand this stuff. So I, <laughs> you know, I, I um, I, and I found the books of Deuteronomy and Numbers to be like, this is ridiculous. Like all these rules and all these rules. And, you know, and of course they're designed so that um, everything you do in life pays honor and respect to God, or at least that's my interpretation of it. And I find with Bowie that the answer to most questions he has provided. And mm. I know this sounds fucking weird, <laughs> but um, but I just, man, I you know, and, and I'm not referring again to David Jones. Mm. I don't know David Jones. I just know what I heard Bowie say, and it really rocked my world and continues to. Yeah, absolutely. I found that he he contradicts himself a lot throughout life, but humbly, you yeah. know, like he goes back on things he said, and you know. I really think the other really effective thing that plays into that is the fluency of the time lapse that you put out there. And it's, you know, you're halfway through the film before you realise how much time has elapsed mm -hmm. and it's so fluent. And that's when, you know, his little contradictions start to seep through and it, that's once again brings out the humanity in him. Um, the whole time lapse um, perspective, I'm going to guess that was very orchestrated as well. Like you wanted it to sort of be fluid. I, you know, I, I think one of the failures of the film is that it's more linear than I wanted. I, I don't, I would say it's linear, not chronological. Mm. And I say that because the connections from moment to moment, shot to shot, scene to scene, do tend to follow a, a very specific through line dealing with transience and chaos fragmentation. I can't even begin to comprehend the, the weight of responsibility that you might have felt making the film? Um, did you feel like you owed the estate, let alone David Bowie, you know, to honour David? Um, I, I think that when you wrestle subjects as iconic as David Bowie or Jane Goodall or the Rolling Stones mm. or Kurt Cobain, um, your first responsibility is not to the fans, it's to yourself. You have to be honest with yourself and you have to make a film, or at least, you know, that, that you, that speaks to your truth. And you then hope that if you are able to achieve that, it will translate beyond that. Yeah. So I think that um, I, I, I was 
I knew this was a great opportunity. You know, I was just speaking to a group of people. One of, the, one of the guys in the room mentioned to me that advanced tickets were going on sale tomorrow. And we're five weeks out from the release. And I said, oh, you know, this is not a normal thing for a documentary <laughs> yeah. that like someone knows when advanced tickets are coming out. Yeah. I, I said, so I knew this was an incredible opportunity. I knew that there would be a, a, a lot of interest in David. And so to that extent, I wanted to make the most of the moment. Um, but honestly, uh, this, I set out to make a two-year film. I was paid to do two years of work. I spent seven years on it. Um, I struggled emotionally, physically, financially, um, but I did not surrender until I felt we had done it. And when we ran out of money for Color Correct, I pulled out my checkbook and was like, I don't care, we're going to, and I got permission from my wife to mortgage the house and do anything we needed to see this thing through. Um, so it was all in, I mean, we went all in on it. And whatever happens commercially when the film comes out is really a secondary secondary that the experience of making this really changed my life and uh, was incredible. I think you've really tapped into a, a demographic and a, and a public that are very eager for this and very hungry for it, uh, given that it is the first time it's been sort of sanctioned. So I don't think you have much to worry about no. as far as its success goes. Um, just one final question. Are you done with it? Like, there must be so much footage that, you know, is there an extended cut that you'd like to explore further, or is this the definitive film? Um, I don't believe in director's cuts because I get final cut. Yeah. So I, 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 I what I wanted the film to be is what it is. Um, am I done with Bowie? I don't think so. I, I, I would like to think that there are there are the couple uh, there are a couple areas I'd like to explore that I think would be more companion sure. um, uh, projects. Um, I, I'd like to think that because it would pain me to think that my journey with Bowie has come to an end because it was, it's been and continues to be uh, incredibly fulfilling and rewarding. And as, as a viewer, I would agree with you. <laughs> and, and I hope everyone sees it in the biggest, most loudest, you know, sound and vision, you know, possible way. So I will say this. Um, I, I do think that um, if, if, um, uh, the film is uh, is going to be available in Australia. I think, Mel I believe Melbourne has the only IMAX theater. If you don't see this film in IMAX, I personally really enjoy the Dolby Atmos mm -hmm. version. It's my favorite version of the sure. film. So seek out a theater with Dolby Atmos mm -hmm. and you're all set um, <laughs> and have fun. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks so much for your time. Really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. I no appreciate it. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. We push record. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Side. Chad is laughing maniac. Excuse me, I had the hiccups. I need to have another drink. Chad was laughing maniacally. Yeah, because uh, I'm. We're talking about music documentaries, and Joe and I, uh, we may be stealing each other's uh, choice because I know we both really love this film. Uh, I'm going to go first. Uh, I want to talk about 2013's Super Mitch. Was that yours? You call that a music documentary? Though? I call it a music documentary. Yes, because it's all. It's mostly about. Uh, so if you're not, no, you're not even Super close Mitch, to mine. Uh, if you're if you're familiar with Superminch, it's about um, 
uh, an agent by the name of Shep Gordon. Uh, he is a he is a legendary uh, person in the in Hollywood, but he's mostly known as a music agent. And in the documentary goes into great stories about him working with Alice Cooper, him working with uh, Teddy Pendergrass, uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Janis Joplin. It's all about him working with these people, starting out as nothing more than a, a drug dealer. And working himself up to having his own private beach. Now it does venture into him working with other celebrities and kind of a, he became, he's the one that started the whole uh, celebrity chef craze mm -hmm. that I am annoyed with to this day. I can never forgive him for that. I'm not annoyed by it. But, uh, but like there it. are some amazing stories uh, in rock and roll history involved in this documentary. And I, I just have to talk about it. So uh, yeah, you if you have, you should read the book. I just finished the book. I will borrow book. it from you because I would, yes. I would like to read it. It's not bad. Um, but yeah, it is uh, directed by Mike Myers as well from Austin Powers fame. So I highly recommend checking out Super Minch. Joe. Now I'm going to talk about 1978's Martin Scorsese directed about one of my favorite bands of all time, the band The Last Waltz. The Last Waltz to me is, I know a lot of people are going to say, and I don't necessarily disagree that Stop Making Sense that Jonathan Demings is the greatest concert film of all time, but The Last Waltz intercuts not only the band as they as they end their tenure, basically 10 years together, and but it also intercuts stories about how they got together. Uh, Martin Scorsese's in the movie with himself, similar to what he did with the Rolling Stones years and years later. I enjoy it. It's beautifully made. It's magical. I I love the band. Up on Cripple, Cripple Creek, James. That's where she sends me when I spring a leak. She defends she me. She mends me. I don't have to speak. She defends me. She mends me. Yeah, I she have to speak. Me. She defends me. A drunkard's dream if I ever did see one. Yeah, I love The Last Waltz. So if you've never seen it, check out The Last Waltz by Martin Scorsese, the band The Last Waltz. James. Oddly enough, Joe, that connects to what I'm going to talk about. Uh, there's this this guy that's made a few documentaries called Davis Guggenheim. He's married to Elizabeth Shue. He runs a lot of museums. Uh, no. Uh, he, he worked on Deadwood and The Shield and ER and some other stuff people watch. But his documentary work includes An Inconvenient Truth, uh, Waiting for Superman, uh, and and he named me Malala, as well as he, he directed uh, some upstart called Barack Obama's candidacy video back in the day. Anyway, he made a film called It Might Get Loud, which yeah. tells the story of Jimmy Page, The Edge, and Jack White. Basically follows these guitarists around. If for no other reason you need to see it to see A, how different they are. B, connecting to Joe's here, at the end of the thing, they do an impromptu cover of the band's The Weight, all on acoustic guitars. It's three guitarists of very, very different styles, different backgrounds, and they do this impromptu thing. And if you've never seen It Might Get Loud, you need to watch It Might Get Loud. James. I pulled into Nazareth. I was feeling about half past dead. I just needed a place where I could lay my head. I said, I hey, said, mister, can you tell me where a man might find a bed? He just grinned and shook my hand and no was all he said. Take a load of yeah. All right. This but is yes, yeah, definitely check out It Might Get Loud because it might. This has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. He's a super mint, mate. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Super Mensch. I had no idea that was directed by Michael Myers. Mike Myers, I should say. It's not the not the master killer. <laughs> That's what he does in his downtime. <laughs>
It's a, just puts a, how do you know if he's not? How do you know if he's not the shape? Exactly, he could be the shape. Well, we know that he went on to direct films. Yeah, <laughs> boy who could fly. That's right, boy who could fly. <laughs> That's right. Well, um, there you go. Thank you to the Boneheads. Um, yeah, go over and find their podcast. Give them some love. They are they dedicate themselves to us every week. So let's um let's show a bit of appreciation back their way. All and right. eventually we will appear on their show. Oh, one of these days, I'm sure of it. We'll have a cameo. Oh, that'd, that'd be, be nice. It would be very nice. We should just record segments for them. <laughs> Maybe. It's like a, you know, just, we just wait for them to tell us what the movies they're going to be talking about are and then just do those. <laughs> the ball's in their court. Yeah. <laughs> Waiting for a call, Joe, Chad and James. Waiting for a call. Well, let's talk about some music documentaries uh, that I'm going to throw out there as some honourable mentions. Because uh, I, I do watch a lot of them, and music documentaries don't stick with me very often. You know, I, they sort of, you watch them, I kind of, I treat them like um, short episodic TV show. Like, I'll just put it on before bed, and if I don't get to the end, it's not a problem. I feel like a lot of music docos should be what they play on TV when the crickets rained out. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of feel like they used to in the daytime, yeah. They would have totally been. Yeah. It would have been like, you know, like a true Hollywood stories kind of yep. kind of thing when you're like, now we're going to talk about the undertones. Yes. I'd be like, I'd be right fucking there going, yes, I do want to watch an hour on the undertones. That's that's what I used to love about, they always used to do it with docos. They would be the, the theatrical version, yep. which would rarely get a theatrical. It would play festivals. Yeah. But they'd always do an hour cut down for TV. Yeah. Yeah, and well, they did. Remember, they did the um the classic American albums or whatever it was, and yeah. like, it'll be like a, a forty minutes of you know how they made Achtung Baby or the Grateful Dead's whatever yeah. that was American whatever Roxy yeah. music yeah not Roxy music uh, <laughs> rock set rock yeah. set how, <laughs> Roxy how, music too and they were yeah they would have done plenty on uh, Roxy music yeah so one a new one that I I really enjoyed was the Billie Eilish one to be honest with you and I like these ones that I can watch of artists that I don't particularly have an appreciation for or don't like. And can come out of it the other end going, Jesus, like, I really like them now. I have to say, I am so out of touch yeah. that the only way I would ever have heard a Billie Eilish song... James Bond. Well, I was going to say, like, not that I recall. Yeah. I'm sure it was in that last one. Well, she was the title She did song. the thing. Yeah. But would be if the, if it appeared in the background of an Instagram video or something. <laughs> yeah, that's where but you get half of your new music from. I don't, you know... Well, I look... You know, Spotify, Spotify is like... It's almost like Netflix yeah. in that, and the, or the difference between Spotify and the radio and Netflix mm. and TV is that now you don't have anyone else programming your yeah. music selection. Well, so I my I found that my the breadth of the music I listen to has narrowed well, dramatically. Well, that's because you're getting old. That's just because you're getting old. Like, that is entirely possible. Yeah, I mean, I, have, I just like what I like. I've made a point of trying to stay on top of what's new. In music. I don't like a lot of it, but I like to know what it is, right? And Billie Eilish is one that's always sort of gravitated around my sort of... It's always in my car once or twice. I mean, I always like... I like Taylor Swift yeah. every now and then. Like, the music videos are pretty good. Yeah, she pops up with some great um, duets and stuff. I'm surprised there's there's not as much... There's a lot less nudity but, than I would have thought well, Thanks to you, I've well, spoken for far too long about Billie Eilish and not even mentioned <laughs> Billie Eilish. Like, how weird is that? Uh, but that's a great one. Like, I came out of the other end of that really appreciating her. She was like a 16-year-old that really got put through the ringer and just sort of, you know, pushed her way through and got to the end. Did you watch the Katy Perry 3D one? Yeah, I didn't like that. I, uh... Not a lot of appreciation there. I, I, I thought I'd bought it just because it was 3D. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, if anyone deserves a th the 3D treatment, it's Katy Perry. <laughs> <laughs> well, some that might... might 
sort of um, be in your your wheelhouse a little more would be the Dolly Parton doco was fantastic. I suppose, like, well, you've now you've just completely ruined my point. So if there is anyone more than Katy Perry that deserves 3D, it's Dolly Parton. <laughs> you like, don't even I mean, need glasses for that one. You don't need, yeah. Um, and the ZZ Top one is fantastic if you haven't seen that. Is that called She's Got Legs? The ZZ Top story? No. Let's see what I think of You combine those two Mexican stories and it's like... <laughs> Um, no, what was it? Their, their one was called uh, the 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 little old band from Texas. I think it was called the, right. the ZZ Top one. I don't remember the Dolly Parton one, but beardies, the weird beardies, the weird beardies. One of them hasn't got a beard. Yeah, he doesn't get on the album covers and yeah, stuff. He's, he's always on the background. He's yeah. not the the fr- he's not one of the front men. Yeah, do you wonder if there's ever pressure? Like I used to be into th- I used to be really into ZZ Top, and when I say I used to be into them, I bought one album <laughs> and just listened to that album well, over and over again. This is the thing that documentary is so great is it shows. Their, their switch in music because they start off very much as a country rock band, folky, hillbilly sort of music. Yeah. And then once that one album, I dare say it's the one you bought, hit, they just changed into like a pop rock band and yeah. they lost the twang and it just became, you know... They went legs. where the money is. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But, you know, arguably as good as the early stuff. Um, it, it's a great documentary. But let me get back to... Uh, the point of the show, and that's recommending stuff, and I've got a, I've got a. Doozy. I thought you were recommending the Billie Eilish doco. No, no, no. That was remember a notable mention, and, oh, okay. and that's what I said. We've spent too long talking about it because you <laughs> took us on a tangent. God damn it! Uh, let's see uh, how little time the, I the can spend on, on me, this one. I'm gonna have to put it on Letterbox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you will. I'm, hopefully, I'll also put the Katy Perry one on Letterbox. Yeah, why not? And the Dolly Parton one. Well, I noticed last week you added a bonus one in there. That was good. Did I? Yeah, you did. We'll talk about that later, sir. <laughs> I do it all the time because I feel like you do it. No, I, I know you're listening to the show, I don't. but I'm like, I'm like, well, you talked about this one and you've added this in. And like, we didn't really talk about it. You talked well, about as it. As you know, it's the 30 second rule. You spend more than 30 yeah. seconds on it. It goes on the letterbox. All right. So maybe just to, to save you some time. I'll, just name, I'll name the fi- film and we'll I'll stop spend it. spend yeah. 15 seconds on this one. <laughs> <laughs> just name it and we'll move on. Well, this one um, we've touched upon before. It's directed by Edgar Wright and is the, it's the Sparks Brothers. Ah, the Sparks Brothers. Which um, he directed this in the same year that he had made Last Night in Soho, which is what you know brought the conversation up last time. And it's all about the pop band Sparks, who are an incredible pop band, but persistently flown under the radar for their entire career. And they began in the 60s. I've only I I was only really familiar with one song of theirs, and I think that may have been on a playlist that Kayla Janice put together on Mixcloud. Yep. And I was like, and th- that song was fantastic. I was yeah. like, this is a banger. And then I went on Spotify and look at their other stuff. Yep. But well, they have evolved. I feel they're, like I've t- I'm no, totally like a Johnny Come Lately to the Sparks. No, they would probably, but they're one of those bands that have <laughs> chopped and changed their style all through their career. Good. Like if you look at these guys now, they're still going. They're bro- they yeah. are real brothers. Uh, they're in their 70s, but they look like they're in their 40s. Like, they look young, and they are still popping, you know, like you can't believe. The joke is that uh, I'm in my 40s, and I look like I'm in my 70s. <laughs> but their name is uh, Ron and Russell Mayle, um, and, yeah, they, they're they very transgressive. And the funny thing is they kind of invented synth pop, right? So Kraftwerk get all the credit, and this is what the film focuses on for for a good while. Craftwork get the credit of being the pioneers of synth pop, but these guys did that same sound years before. 20 years prior, yeah. Oh, more like four or five years prior, because we're talking 70s here. I always, <laughs> I don't, look, 
I guess this is showing my ignorance, yeah. but I always thought Kraftwerk was like a German death metal band. Oh, it's a German synth pop band. Synth pop, yeah. Did they do Bibbidi Bobbidi, you know, the song from Super Troopers? Be down, bang, bang, the bean, bang, boom, bang, be down, boy, and the bean, bang, boom. Now that you say that, I don't think so, but there's a possibility. You know that song? You know that song from Super Troopers? I know the moment. I know the moment, yeah. But this is a band, like I said, if you didn't know of this band and you watched this film, you'd swear they were a piss take. Like this, this film was a mockumentary, right? Because most people haven't heard of the band and yet yeah. they present them like they have this huge legacy, which they do. Legions of fans, which they do. And yet part of the joke of the film is yet nobody knows no one who they are. That, yeah. uh, but They're like Teflon, nothing sticks. All these celebrities doing talking heads that clearly know who they are. You got Beck in there. Mike Myers, he brings, he comes into it again. Fred um, Armisen is in there. Giorgio Moroder, like, you know, godfather of synth uh, electronic. Weirdo Yankovic, Flea, Jason Schwartzman, even Jonathan Woss. <laughs> Got to pronounce his name with the, with the yeah, W. Don't, uh... Neil Gaiman, um, Patton Oswald. Yeah, heaps, heaps of people in there that just um, adore this band and influence them. And for filmies, they were the band that performed in the movie Roller Coaster at the theme park. Right in front of the roller coaster, there's a moment with the band playing. <laughs> There you go, Spuds. I always thought it was Red Hot Chili Peppers doing Roller Coaster. <laughs> roller Coaster. Oh, love. love. Say what? Hey, we've talked about them before. What was the movie with um, Kirk Douglas? That's a cover, though. Kirk Douglas, um, the Tough Guys, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers are in that as the band in the club. In the club, And that yeah. song was recorded for that movie only, and it is available nowhere except maybe YouTube. Roller Coaster? No. <laughs> Oh, the song that they performed. Yes. I thought that the song that they performed was Roller Coaster. I'm like, well, it's on the Beavis and Butthead soundtrack. No, 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 no. Well, that's true. I think we've played it on the show before. It's on the uh, the music from Good Movie Monday no, playlist. It's playlist, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I spent way too long talking about Sparks. Um, my introduction to them, though, this is my personal connection, was I got into them back in the 90s because of Ween, because Ween have called themselves the contemporary Sparks. Right. And they used to, I think there's a few songs where they reference Sparks and I know in interviews they've definitely referenced them and that's what got me into them. Which is shocking that the Ween boys can remember anything considering that every time <laughs> I've seen them in any interview they're blasted out of their tits. <laughs> oh. I'm Dean Ween, I'm Gene Ween. Yep. And there, ween. there was a Mean Ween as well. And a Mean Ween. Yep. Anyway, so that's my recommendation. Then. Mean Gene Ween. Hand it over to you, sir. Uh, well, I'm going to talk about, I feel like, I think, I think I have talked about this before on the show. Uh, and if, I, but if I can't remember it, how are the people listening? If I remember it, does that mean you don't have to talk about it? Yeah. I can just say the name and go, <laughs> like, I mean, that maybe that's what I'll do anyway. I'll just say the name and go, it's awesome. Check it out. Right. It's another Netflix, uh, doco. It is the Bee Gees. How can you mend a broken heart? Amazing. Directed by Frank Marshall. By Frank Marshall. Yes. Uh, it is everything that you want a music doco to be. Like it covers their their early years, their childhood. It covers them getting famous. It covers all the frictions in the band. Yep. But you know the jealousy of um of between Robin and Barry, the whole thing, how they came up with the sound, how they got into disco when they they went down to Miami to record and basically discovered it. Yep. Um, and how you know how how. Barry started singing falsetto and all of that sort of stuff. Like it is mm-hmm. uh, a fascinating and very entertaining doc. And look, you know, love them or hate them, the Bee Gees music is great. so incredibly catchy. And when you watch this doco, you kind of, they give you enough of the songs so you, that you don't immediately 
you don't have to pause it and then go listen to the song. The way I look at it, the people that criticise bands like the the BGS or ABBA are typically not music people, right? Because like you look at actual musicians. Like for a good example was I was watching the other week, uh, the other night, the Taylor Hawkins um, tribute concert. Five right. hours. It's on Amazon Prime. It's incredible. You got all these incredible musicians that will wear t-shirts of like ABBA or BGS. Like there's an absolute respect there from a musician's point of view. Well, that's what I like. I remember watching Detroit rock city and I know it's like a movement thing where yeah. they're, it's the same as the mods and the rockers kind of where thing. They with hate their, disco and yeah. And they had disco and stuff. And you're like, why? I like, I like the clash and yeah. I like ABBA. Yeah. Like, yeah. Fuck you. But, but, but that was, <laughs> almost, I like Kiss. But that's almost a facade. It was like theatrics, right? It was, yeah. um, it was definitely theater where it was, it was cool for these bands to, um, diss, other, yeah, you know, it was part of the scene where, but you talk to them away from the microphones and the cameras, and they quite likely have those albums. Yeah, they've listened to it. Yeah. They know the albums. Yeah, they know the music. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a good one though. But that's, really uh, that's and it's a great story of um, I want to say rags to riches, but like well, that. because they did, they they started out in the kind of folk music era. Yeah, like so their early stuff, all that you know, minor disaster of whatever it is, seventeen ninety seven or whatever the hell it is. All of that stuff is so completely intrinsically sort of connected, and but, but so completely different to their later stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then when disco, you know, they they are one of the few kind of ever evolving bands, like, and that were big mm-hmm. in multiple genres of music. Totally. You know, totally. like I mean, you know, say what you will about someone like Billy Joel or Elton John or Bruce Springsteen, they haven't really changed their yeah. musical yeah. styles. Like they, you know. They've maintained they, integrity, but they haven't gone outside of their their. their thi- square, you know, yeah. it's this they they it's exactly the same kind of music. I agree. Whereas the Bee Gees literally change genres yeah. as they evolved. But it also that documentary dives into the risk they took to do so. Yeah. You know, and it was yeah, it's a good one, man. I I didn't think to do that one. It's but that one reminds me, that one reminds me of the George Harrison one as well. Like that's just as good. Yeah. It's very similar. Um, and I would say, like, there's a ton of them. Like, YouTube is also, is actually a great resource. Yeah. I watched a bunch. Like, I did watch the ABBA doco on uh, Amazon Prime, I mm-hmm. believe it's on. And that was actually, that was pretty good. But um, there's a great, there is, a, I think I joked about it earlier, there is a great doco on YouTube on the undertones and mm-hmm. the kind of, you know, what happened with that band with Fertile Sharky. Because it's such a weird thing that the the, the band that sung Teenage Kicks is also like spawned the guy who who did that a good was it a good heart is hard to was yes. it, what's, his, what's his a good heart these days is hard to find yes 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 and the, the best part about that doco is at the end where they kind of they talk about why they broke it up why they broke up and what kind of happened he said they go ninety oh, percent of our fights were can you turn that up can you turn that down. <laughs> Because they, because the other members of the band hated that soft, the soft rock, yep. new romantic stuff that Fertile Sharky was getting into, and that's the whole thing. It was great, and there's also there's a really I used to put them on in the background. That's what music docos are great if you have a workplace that allows you to just have yeah. stuff playing in the background. There's a whole one on um, uh, what's his name, George Clinton, mm-hmm. and the kind of history of funk. Yep. I can't remember what it's called, but it goes like Morris Day and the time. They're all in there, and they talk about all of that. All that stuff, and it is. It, I felt like it went for four hours. It's quite possible that the next video was just a playlist of of, oh, I was uh, say, it might have of the Parliament of Funk. Uh, there's a lot of um, like of the Great Funk Railroad. There's a lot of sort of you know four, five, six part documentaries yeah. on those streaming platforms too. But uh, good one, man. Um, I wish I'd thought of that one.
Good Movie Monday is made possible with the support of people like Viewlorium. Viewlorium is a streaming platform for rare and obscure movies, and it's absolutely free. They also have a catalogue full of kids' flicks, classic movies, foreign cinema, and more. Visit viewlorium.com today to see what it's all about. Well, actually, what I thought about just then was the movie you brought up then with the Bee Gees. Last night, I watched the Brian Wilson one, um, which was kind of similar. And it was just too late for me to incorporate it into the show as a recommendation, but that is a recommendation. That's a like a notable mention. The funny thing is, I have i don't think I've watched any actual documentaries on the Beach Boys, but I seem to have watched a lot of biopics on the Beach Boys. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's a lot of them out there. But this one... Um... I was actually tempted to make that do that just this episode. Yeah. Just, I would just r- <laughs> skip the documentary part biopics. and just do biopics. We've done that before. It's close enough. Uh, it's called The Long Promise Road, and it's it, it's him now in a car, like the Jerry Seinfeld comedians in cars getting coffee, with this Rolling Stone writer who befriended him 20 years ago. Is and, it and Ben... Because no, ben Fontorres? But because Brian Wilson now has a lot of mental damage and, and, and whatnot. He, because of the drugs? Yeah, but because of, like, you remember Love and Mercy, how he had that psychiatrist yeah. played by Paul Giamatti? That part of his life is what fucked him up. Yeah, right. Um, and this movie really taps into that because the camera is quite often on him, but it's a discreet camera, like a dash cam camera in the car. And they talk about all these things. And as they talk about them, they show you archival footage, but then they go and visit places from his childhood and he won't get out of the car because he has anxiety attacks and... It is just amazing to see how fucked up he is in the head, you know, when he was such a musical genius in those early days. And then the movie comes around to how he's still a genius, but you really got to tap hard to get it out. Yeah. And it is just well worth a look. Like, if, whether you love the Beach Boys or not, it'll give you such an appreciation for them. And then go and watch Tulane Blacktop just to see Dennis Wilson <laughs> being awesome. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, uh, that about uh, wraps up the show, Ben. We're at the tail end. Maybe we should talk about next week's show. It's a good one. This is going to be fun, I reckon. I, I want to change things up a little bit next week. We've got uh, Joel Brady on the show. That's Mr. Dead End DVD himself. We we talk about Dead End DVD a lot, and it'll be great to actually have the guy behind it here. We're going to talk about, loosely, collector's essentials is what we're calling it, but um, who knows where the conversation will go. We're going to interpret as we will. I was going to say, this makes a nice surprise that you've decided to change up the show and you're forewarning me. Usually, uh, I don't find out about that until you hit the record button, <laughs> and we're halfway through the show, and I'm like, "Oh, well, okay. look, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna come prepared with the bare essentials just to get us through." And underpants, I want to see underpants how, and an icy pole. I wanted to see how you know we can just banter for the show, which is kind of what we've done today. Actually, this show's yeah. gone in a different direction to what we were thinking. So, who knows where it'll go? But that's going to be a fun episode. Um, so, if you're someone that buys or collects sort of Blu-ray, 4K. And special editions, particularly, then you've probably dealt with this guy. I was going to say, I think you should have stopped there. It's like, if you're someone, you should listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there's a lot of people that would have dealt with this guy and not realized. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, he's so. A man, he's, a, he's a shadowy man of mystery. That is going to. Well, the shroud is coming off next week. Uh, that's you and I are going to strip off. Yeah. <laughs> Underpants and icy poles. Do you, have, do you have any more music documentaries you'd like to just mention, throw in the uh, ring before we wrap? Uh, Dave Chappelle's Block Party, actually. There's one. Actually, there is a really, a really good one on, I think it's just called Bridget Bardot Sings, but it's about her music career. Like, she did, had some fucking bangers cool. of music. Like, I, I'm a big fan of that kind of, yeah, yeah, um, 60s French music period. But her, all her stuff with uh, Serge Gainsbourg and stuff, 
Cool. It's all amazing. Like that is definitely worth checking out. I'm positive it's on YouTube. Awesome. Put that in your notebooks, everyone. Uh, Dig is another good one about the feud between the Dandy Warhols and the Brian Jonestown Massacre. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Very good doco. Some Kind of Monster is really good. The Metallica one. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Decline of Western Civilization. Those those are amazing. That's the one that's got three of, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and as I said before, Dave Chappelle's Block Party worth a look. And of course, you know, friend of the show, Andrew Leibold has just finished his... Yep. Pub documentary Pub doc- yes. on Fred Negro that is well worth checking out. Definitely. Uh, I think it's playing, if not, if it hasn't played, it's playing at the in Sydney at the moment. There is so a, you can check it out. There is a great Melbourne music-based documentary that would be a perfect <coughs> double feature for that. And it just occurred to me, there's one called Sticky Carpet. And it's all about the, the, um, the Tote Hotel. Yeah. Uh, because if you've ever been there, it's got it's sticky, sticky carpet. carpet. Well, I was going to say, you, it's not a real pub unless it's got sticky sticky carpet. <laughs> That's, That's right. what we used to call them when we used to work on Chapel Street. And it was, so this, I was working in Chapel Street in the early to mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. And the gentrification had well and truly yeah. kind of swept through that place. But it was still down the Aster end of Chapel Street. It was still the dodgy end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you could... You literally could feel the it changing, and you would have to walk further and further away to get to a like the, a dingy. We used to call it old man pub. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, and then even there was the one, which it's totally gone now. It, I don't know if it was across the road from the Union Hotel or Lizard Lounge or whatever the hell that place is called now. Um, but the front part, the front bar was still an old man pub, and then the bistro in the back was like a. Like a hip place. Was I think it was punters? further down. Was it the Punters Club? No, no, it would have been, it was on Chapel Street and it would have been way down. Ah, uh, what would it, you know, I'm it's just not, trying to think of. It's not where is. <laughs> no, like. You know where that is. <clears throat> yeah, of yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of what it would have turned into. Like, I, I don't think it was as far down as Hungry Jack's or whatever that Hungry Jack's is now. Maybe it is Hungry Jack's. Uh yeah, well, Hungry Jacks was a bank or something, wasn't it? Well, anyway, we're uh, really it was on the corner. It's like it was on the corner of a little side street <laughs> on Chapel Street. I don't think we need to stretch the show any further. But no, <laughs> no. But you know, send us a message if you can remember the name of that pub. Do. Uh, thanks to our mates, the Boneheads. Thanks to Guillermo. Uh, cheers to Jarrett, and appreciation to all of the GMM players. And also thanks to Brett Morgan for the chat. That was uh, it was good to uh to do um come hang out with us next week uh all throughout the week on social media as well but um we're just gonna wrap it up here with a song from one of brett's previous films kurt cobain mortgage of heck and this song is heart-shaped box it's one of the best and we'll see you next week Don't it?
Sir. 